0: For I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing to you a knight sired by knights, a knight who can trace his lineage back beyond Charlemagne. I first met him atop a mountain near Jerusalem, praying to God, asking his forgiveness for the Saracen blood spilt by his sword. Next, he amazed me still further in Italy when he saved a fatherless beauty from the would-be ravishings of her dreadful Turkish uncle.
1: (laughs) In Greece,
0: he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound
2: of a whisper? And so, without
0: further gilding the lily, and with no more ado, I give to you the seeker of serenity, the protector of Italian virginity, the enforcer of our
1: Lord God, the one, the only, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein!
0: Hello,
3: and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. I'm Sarah Iftdecker.
2: And I'm Molly Brady. And in this podcast, that's right, I'm going to keep saying podcast <laughs> at this starting point,
1: we're going to read medieval books, we're going to watch medieval movies, we're going to look at historical fiction, medieval fantasy, and we're going to see what these movies get right, what they get wrong, and in particular, they're going to tell us what modern
2: audiences or modern people think of the medieval past. Sarah, There's a rumor going around that you have some sort of doctorate in this particular subject.
3: Yes, I wanted to do this podcast because I am professionally a medieval historian. I have a PhD in medieval history, which makes me, I guess, as qualified as one can be to talk about medieval history. And I teach pre-modern history classes at the university level. Ollie, why did you want to do this podcast with me?
2: Because I'm a white man, and I think that I can talk about anything just as well as other people can. And also... (laughs) Dudes with swords stab people. It's it's fun. <laughs> always gets me excited.
3: And if there were two medievalists, I think we would probably be just like completely insufferable. Now at least it's only me being really insufferable.
2: Sarah, you are never insufferable. She is always
3: insufferable. Pretty much. I have some especially pedantic comments today.
2: <laughs> oh, I I cannot wait. When Sarah gets pedantic, it's my favorite thing on the podcast. Sarah, just um, how much? Let me say. How, to describe this is. how much prima noctis in this movie?
3: Zero, so that makes it one of the top five most accurate medieval movies, that it does not feature use prima noctis, a thing that did not exist. Stop
2: saying it didn't exist. Like, the movies wouldn't like us. This is a real thing.
3: I think the Scottish actually invented it. God, you know what? In the 16th Scot- century.
2: I to have to complain that about the, the English. Uh, yeah, probably. Okay, um, Sarah. Sarah. Amazing.
3: Today we are talking about the 2001 film *A Knight's Tale*, and we also have a special guest joining us today, Don Gildenmeister.
0: I'm here. Hi. Hi, How Don. How are you? <laughs> How are both of you? We are good. I'm,
2: I'm good. I thought you were going to say Heath Ledger. I was getting super excited, and then I realized, and I was like, oh.
0: Yeah, he's dead. He's very dead. Yeah. But yeah. we have Don. Yeah, I'm here instead. I'm I'm not dead.
3: Which is good. That would be a really eerie podcast.
2: Imagine if we had a fucking ghost on. <laughs>
1: Spooky!
3: I mean, if we're gonna
2: have a
0: ghost, it should be somebody from the Middle Ages. The ghost of Chaucer is with us all today. Yes.
3: No, I like... I, I found <laughs> out something about
2: Chaucer during the week. And by during the week, I mean Sarah told me about it this morning, because he might have been a nasty dude, so...
0: I mean, so what, are we surprised? Yeah, so we will discuss later
3: on in the podcast whether or not Chaucer was a terrible person. No,
2: the reason I brought up uh, recently deceased Heath Ledger is because he's in this movie. <laughs> I and mean, think he's fantastic.
3: He is fantastic. Heath Ledger is my favorite medieval man.
2: You mean Heath Ledger himself or? Yes. Heath Ledger's character. <laughs> in
3: this Heath Ledger's character in this movie. However, this movie also features my second favorite medieval man who is in multiple movies that we have discussed or will be discussing, Rufus Sewell, as our villain, Count Adhemar of Anjou.
1: This is the second
2: movie where we've had Rufus Sewell there, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, think I think I'd take a bit of, a bit of Rufus over, over our hero.
3: Really? I, I feel work. like Heath Ledger is actually... You know, I, I think that's at least a tie, unlike in Tristan and Isolde, where I would take Rufus Sewell over James Franco literally any day.
2: Oh, I, I, think, I think I'd think i take Heath Ledger as he is today yeah. over James Franco. <laughs>
0: I mean, I just really like Heath Ledger. I like him so much that I've now purchased this movie three times. Three times. This, three I've times. had a real hard time with this DVD, okay?
2: He's, he's been in other movies. <laughs> But this this
0: was my version. You've, you've both heard my story about my friend and the Titanic double VHS set, how she would only watch the first tape because the second <laughs> tape was sad. <laughs> <laughs> this was my version of that. Yeah. This was like my, I'm sad. I'm in college. I'll put this in.
1: Yeah. And I
0: think I've donated two different DVD players in my life that have had it in it when it went <laughs> away. And then I found the container and been like, oh. So instead, I got this really weird, probably bootleg version off of Amazon that comes in a bunch of languages that Sarah mostly knows.
3: I don't know that many of them. Well, because it actually doesn't have like, it doesn't have French or Spanish. It doesn't have, or German. It doesn't have any of the things you would normally expect to be included in the subtitles. But if you need it in
0: Hindi, we've got a copy.
3: And we did actually watch it with subtitles in Hebrew, which is a language that I do know.
2: I just about know English. And there's some of this in this movie. Because I think it's set in England. Uh, parts of it. Parts of it definitely are. Yeah. Um, but we have Ruby as code Adamir, he's a bad guy. We have Shannon Sossaman, um Reno Native as Jocelyn. Uh, Mark Addy, who grew up to become Robert Bratty and Friar Tuck in the previous movie, uh, as Roland, who yeah, I'm not even sure is what is his job in the movie?
3: So he and Alan Tudyk's character, sorry, who we haven't actually gotten to yet. he and So he and what, Alan Tudyk's character, were, I guess, both also squires of the same guy, Sir Ector, that William initially is the squire of.
0: So in my so notes, is- I put down squire slash hype man.
3: Yeah, well, Chaucer is the one who becomes the hype man. But
0: they're also kind of like mini hype men.
3: Yeah, that's true. They're, they're bad, like the entourage. Bad, they're bad hype
2: men. Now. But I just meant... I didn't they realize have moments. that.
0: Nah, he sewed that realize.
2: shirt. That's true. That yeah. is true. He did sew a shirt. He, um, yeah. I didn't realize that uh, knights had more than one squire. I just thought it was like one squire, like as in a Star Wars situation of one Padawan.
3: I think you can have multiple squires, but you would, in any case, you would have a pretty substantial uh, retinue of people yeah. Yeah, that you would be bringing around with you who would, you know, clean your stuff for you. Like, you wouldn't expect only one squire to do all of your, you know, cleaning and feeding your horse and whatnot.
0: Yeah, it's kind of expected just based on, like, wealth as well yeah. as status. Like, you have to have a squire to tend to your horse, a squire that tends to your, you know, outfits. Right. <laughs> and someone that... Tends to your supplies and all that great stuff. Yeah. Nice.
2: So basically, Alan Tudek's like the chef. Mark Addy was like the seamstress.
3: Yes. Yeah. As we, we know, he is a master seamstress.
2: Oh, God. He makes a really nice shirt later on. And this is he one does. Of my it's like, how does he have time to make that shirt? Like, Project Runway would be all over this guy.
0: Yeah, he would win. He would. He would just go to the finals. He wouldn't have to go through any of the. the competition. Exactly, they'd just be
3: like, "I saw that shirt. Good job, dude."
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> then we get uh, Paul Bettany, uh, Britain's finest, as Jeffrey Chaucer. Uh I think he's brilliant in this movie. Uh, oh, I love him! Best, I think he's the best thing in the movie, and I wish he'd gone on to be like way, way more famous because he's a really good actor. He's Vision now. Yeah, he is Vision. Yeah, but like vision's is, like he's all red and stuff. That's <laughs> so weird.
0: I mean, but he looked really good in a V-neck. <laughs>
2: True. <laughs> he looked creepy, kind of creepy in a V-neck.
3: Well, in this he has a lot of weirdly half-open
0: shirts, so... And some questionable <laughs> 1970s-inspired jackets. Yes.
2: Nice. Uh, then we get uh, Laura Fraser as Kate. Now, it says here that she was Lydia at Breaking Bad.
3: Yes. Have you seen Breaking Bad?
2: I watched one... I think I watched... Half of the
3: first season. Okay, yeah. she doesn't show up until, like, I think maybe, like, the second to last season, something like that. I don't remember, but she's she doesn't show up for a while. What um, is her
0: character's purpose?
3: I'm not sure how much of that I can explain without giving away, like, a lot of the plot, but she, like, ends up being... Is she
0: someone's girlfriend?
3: No, she actually okay, ends up... I don't up... know who
0: she is then. No,
3: <laughs> she actually ends up being, like, the, like, a, like, future supplier of materials Understood. to make meth.
0: I got through three seasons.
3: Okay, yeah. So I don't think she's you're up to her yet. I think. I think i, I had
2: that. so many people telling me that. Oh, oh, Ollie, Walter White's what, just like you. And then I watched half that's a season. Insulting. Before he becomes a drug dealer, he's an <laughs> asshole. And after he becomes a drug dealer, he's a drug dealer so and an, an, an asshole. asshole. So I'm just going. <laughs> which bit? Which bit of it is he me? Well, like me? When? thanks for calling You might as well just call me a dickhead here.
3: I assume it's really just that you know science.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that's what it is. I did <laughs> used to have, at that time, I did used to have a little goatee as well. And I'm going mm. And I can dance on roller skates the funky time.
1: Okay. Yeah. Which is
2: what I always remember him. Um, but she, she's Lydia Breakbad, And she's also in a future movie, because myself and Sarah watched this The Man in the Air Mask, which, spoiler alert, I really, really love. Um,
0: I saw and, that in movie theaters with my mother. Oh. That's really
3: nice. That and nice.
2: she's credited as bedroom beauty. Sarah, do you remember what happens to her in that movie?
3: I assume she slept with Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: She. That's is,
3: really all I remember.
2: She is the lady in the bed when Leo, shall we say, finishes what he was doing and then tells her to go away. Yeah. That's that's it. She, he literally just says, you can go away now. And she's, yeah. she's like, she gets all upset and he goes, what did, did you do? Did you think you were going to be queen? Like, it's creepy
0: shit. Yeah, he's a dick. Modern romance.
2: 17th <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: uh... century modern romance.
2: <laughs> I mean, And then my boy, James Purify, as uh, the Black Prince. Um, I, I love James Purify. I, he's, um,
1: he's really good at everything he's in. He used to be in
2: EastEnders and uh, the uh, I, which is like a, a British soap, and he's just great, and he's uh, he's <laughs> awesome as Mark Antony. I can't think of a better Mark Antony actually than. James yeah, he was really that.
3: fantastic, and the casting in general in Rome I thought was really really good. But he did a really solid Mark Antony.
2: Yeah, and he's also <laughs> Solomon Kane.
3: Another future movie.
2: <laughs> Stay tuned, people. We will be watching. Fuck me, out Solomon Kane.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: uh, that's the cast of characters. And, uh, and actress, and as we can tell, we're all super excited about this movie, especially Dawn, who's like watched it like 55 times from the way she's talking about it. Yeah, yeah I've often, seen it. How often I, you reckon you've seen it, Dawn?
0: It's probably closer to like 30 or 40 times.
1: That's Definitely. still a long time.
0: No, it is. Uh, you know, we didn't have cable in college, so DVDs were all that you had.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think I've very possibly seen it about 20 times.
2: Yeah. That's a lot of times I've seen this movie. I think I've, I, conservatively, have seen it five times. Okay. Okay. And I've enjoyed
1: it every time.
0: I mean, maybe I should clarify that with like an asterisk and say it's been on thirty to forty times in my presence. <laughs> <laughs> because you know it was kind of like that thing that you just put in, yeah, for background noise, like pre-streaming services.
2: Oh. There are um, uh, there are legit movies I've definitely seen forty times. Like I've. I've fairly certain I've seen Top Gun 40 times. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Definitely
2: I've seen Aliens upwards of 40 times. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. like I just throw it in before I'm going to bed so that I can have nightmares. Mm-hmm.
3: I've seen Hot Fuzz. I'm probably I'm probably up to 20 at least on yeah, that one too. Yeah, that
0: sounds about right for me too.
2: And of course, Sarah, you've seen Kingdom of Heaven a million times.
3: I have not seen Kingdom of Heaven since it was in theaters, and we will have to watch that soon. <laughs> I can't um. wait!
2: I can't wait. <laughs> those crosses are the wrong way up, Oliver.
3: They are. I. I'm gonna have so much to say about those crosses.
2: His armor is the wrong color. And um, but anyway, we now need to get into describing the movie. Um, before we do go into this, because we did this on the last episode too. If you're looking for a serious critique of um of the movie, and I'd say you might want to go to a different podcast for this because I absolutely love this movie and I'm not going to say it bad about it. Sarah's going to throw it under the bus because it's not accurate. She was like, Oh, this is set in 1655, and David Bowie's We Will Rock you didn't 1659. Like, that's that's her, that's that's her, that's her side of the thing. But, uh, I am not going I, I to love it everything yet.
3: Uh, So I adore this movie and also I'm not going to be having a completely serious critique of it from the perspective of like it as a movie really but I am going to be pointing out a few things which are at least non-deliberate anachronisms. This is also a movie which has deliberate anachronisms which are mostly just delightful.
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's some inconsistencies with the timeline on certain things that we even noticed when we were watching it this morning.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like the fact that David Bowie just didn't release his album until sixteen fifty.
0: Yeah, that was one of oh, my okay. top complaints, actually. just <laughs>
2: what are you doing? All right, we're going to start into the recap. So the recap section we call the new Miracchio. I realize I'm going to do this now in front of Dawn, so this is embarrassing.
1: The <laughs> new
2: Just, It's so beautiful. Sarah, I, you can leave I think
0: you're getting
2: us. better. No, I'm not. I'm getting worse. <laughs> That's the point. I mean, Sarah, that happened you... in
0: the movie, too. It's fine.
2: It does. Sarah, would you, would you talk us through how the movie starts?
0: Yeah, so the movie
3: starts with a kind of opening uh, text, which is, In medieval times, a sport arose, embraced by noble and peasant fans alike, though only noble knights could compete. The sport was jousting. And we then move on to a vision of some medieval knights uh, hammering lances into one another. And uh, um, we also get uh, a sort of crowd of spectators uh, singing along to We Will Rock You, which is absolutely amazing.
2: It's really good. And I love the fact that they have them like banging on the, their feet on the floor and, and knocking Knock. their knuckles against the wooden balustrades. It's awesome.
3: Yeah. And like it's in time. It's great. It's just, it also, I find it really fun because to some extent with a medieval movie, if they just have that kind of deliberate anachronism, I'm like, okay, there are certain things that I can just chill out about a little bit because I feel be like, okay, you're just doing that on purpose and it's fun. Um, although, as I said, there are still a couple of things I'm going to have
2: comments on. <laughs> Uh, The movie is set sometime around about the Hundred Years' War, which we talked about before. And which movie will we talk about the Hundred Years' War in,
3: Sarah? Timeline.
2: Timeline, yes. Yes, Great. Uh,
3: Yeah, so the timing, I'm actually just going to go ahead and say right now, is a little fuzzy because one of the events that happens is a Battle of Poitiers, which took place in 1356. So initially that's when I thought it was. But then mm -hmm. when I was poking around a bit about Chaucer... Um, uh, it looks like on the basis of Chaucer's lifetime, it's supposed to take place in probably the early 1370s. Um, uh,
0: yeah, there's a director's cut version of the DVD, which I have the Blu-ray, so I don't have the DVD anymore, but it does discuss with the director that it was hypothesized that there's like a six month period where Chaucer disappeared in this, in the 1370s. And that would have been supposedly what this timeline is supposed to represent.
2: Oh, cool. So this is like, this is what Chaucer was doing when he just went rogue. Yeah. Nakedly. Nakedly
0: rogue. Yeah. Like he just wandered off for six months. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fuck this noise. I can't... Am I allowed to swear? Yes. Okay.
2: (laughs) I've swore a bunch of times already. (laughs) Um, I just forget (laughs) to (laughs) ask. We start in, uh, in this tournament and one of the... Petters, Sir Hector dies. He's just kind of sitting there. There's a stink from him. There's flies buzzing around him. And his three squires are, you know, one squire and cook and Seamstress, man, whatever, whatever, seamstress, whatever they all do. And um, they're all kind of looking at him like, Get up, get up, Hector. You have to fight. All he has to do is be on the, yeah, the horse for a little bit. Um, but he's dead. Super They dead. know that they're not going to yeah. get any money. So, <laughs> William, William Thatcher, played by the ever-dashing, Heath Ledger, decides to uh, take place and take his place by throwing on the armor.
3: Yes, and he, of course, is successful. He manages to, uh, you know, uh, basically not get thrown off his horse, which is pretty much all he has to do to win. And they get their prize, uh, which is a basically, like, weird feather made out of gold.
0: Yes, it's a it's It a, looks strange. like a peacock feather.
1: Yeah.
2: And it is made out of gold, and it is like, I'm there going, what is this? Why would you want this as a prize? So you but can melt it down?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah that's thing. <laughs> Why go to the trouble of making it elaborately?
3: Well, I think they probably but... assume that some of the entrants are members of the nobility that can just, like, have these on their mantelpiece, essentially.
0: Oh, see, so yeah, I was going with, like, uh, really, like, whoever whoever's house was holding that. That was, like, a housewarming gift they got they didn't want. And that's how they were like That's probably where they came from. It's basically just a really elaborate white elephant party.
2: Nobody liked going around to
0: Like Aunt Flo dropped off this freaking (laughs) ugly ass like feather and I don't want it.
2: Oh god no, I've got the golden toaster again.
3: (laughs) Ah! Doesn't even make bread.
2: Tristan Oh so Tristan, I, I I don't know why I said Tristan. Maybe because we're about to talk about Aragon for a second, and as we know, Tristan is from Aragon. interested yeah. and Isolde. Um or Isolde. I I I, get, I never get around saying Isolde. It's Isolde to me, like Isolde. Like, I don't know why. It's just all just sounds weird. But um he manages to win the tournament um just by staying on his horse basically. Um because he's not particularly good at jousting. And they decide that they're going to full-time take over Hector's
3: persona. Yes, although initially Watt and Roland are not very excited about this plan. They just want to basically take their money and go. Uh, There's a little bit in there that they're very excited about getting to go home and eat British food. Uh, First of all, uh, (laughs) very few people express that level of excitement about eating British food. Uh, but also it is worth pointing out at this point that there wasn't that much distinction between European cuisines, So there wouldn't be really anything that they would expect to get in England that wasn't pretty similar to what they would get in France.
2: Would not get a fish and chips?
3: I don't think fish and chips were a thing quite yet. I think fish and chips became a thing in like the 19th century.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm also like amazed that this whole conversation is going on while there's literally dead people behind them hanging in a basket. Yeah. And a gallo. <laughs>
2: But don't. set in medieval there No, were I know. Dead like, people in baskets.
0: But like, I, I'm assuming it's a, is a, it's a visual commentary for the audience. But they don't even act like they know it's there, and that's <laughs> they don't. No, that that was what was the weirder part to me. Like, I would have thought, like at least just like, oh, okay, yeah.
1: Like just they can't, they can't listen, anyways.
2: <laughs> but as Sarah would tell you, like that's that's what the medieval period was like. It was just dead people just hanging around and. As in well star, I know that
0: Ollie. I've watched a couple movies <laughs> <laughs> Yeah there
3: is definitely this uh, Constant effort in medieval movies to be like Look
2: how so violent the middle
3: ages were Look at these dead people
2: And <laughs> um, Sarah where are they that violent? What sorry? Where are the medieval ages that violent?
3: I mean not that they weren't violent But they weren't that much more violent Than modernity where we have you know A school shooting every five seconds <laughs> to uh bring the podcast way way down
2: <laughs> it's already time he passed away
3: i know oh.
2: so there he finally william finally decides to convince them that they will and they go towards the next uh turning Um, they're going to have to have a training montage in the way to show him getting better apparently he's really good with his sword um, but he's not particularly good with the jousting, and jousting is the sport that everyone wants to be good at, so he's kind of like grumpy and shouting at the other men, but, you know, we're supposed to like him because he's not an intolerable little shit in this movie. Um, as they traveling on they come across a naked dude just walking nakedly down the, uh, the road. How, how did you guys feel about this?
3: I love naked Geoffrey Chaucer. I love him so much.
0: Oh, yes. It was, it was a delightful time.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, there's just like this like naked man and he just kind of walks past them very nonchalantly. And they're like, why are you naked? And he comes up with a great phrase. He says, uh, involuntary vow of poverty,
2: <laughs> uh, which is a
3: really solid Franciscan pun, who since the Franciscans, of course, took voluntary vows of poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And I love how he, he's like shocked that they don't recognize him. Chosen, Jeffrey Chosen. the The writer like as if as if these three random bookends are going to recognize jackie or even know know how to read yeah reading wasn't a big thing
0: the competency levels were yeah all over the place right and also
3: of course the only book that he's able to bring up at this point is the book of the duchess and we'll talk about this more later but that's definitely not one of his you know best read or most famous works um it's not like you know he's written the canterbury tales and everyone's all you know excited about him
0: I know we already we already kind of touched on the training montage, but I did feel of all the parts of the training montage, the boat part was the weirdest.
3: Right, that is <laughs> like in that weird like
0: boat and then falls out. Like I'm like, that just seems very ineffective. Also like, do you remember those toys? I don't know if you had one as, as a child, Ollie, but it was like a water reservoir and it had like rings in it and you would like push buttons like it was almost like a water-based ping-pong machine and you would try to mess. get like hoops onto things that are in the oh no,
2: that
0: yeah i had one and it made me think of this <laughs> because it was like the little ring and like trying to get you know the the jousting tool
2: yeah this sounds so yeah. cool um the the bit in the boat uh what got into my head was is it meant to represent having an unsteady footing. And then I thought, no, you're on a horse. That's why it doesn't
0: make any sense.
3: Yeah, I don't understand why they didn't just practice on a horse.
0: (laughs) Because they didn't wear out the horse. Yeah, but... They're very concerned about that. Like, every other scene, they're like, the horse is going to get worn out. I can see it getting
3: (laughs) worn out, like, traveling from city to city. It seems like it's not going to get that worn out, just basically, like, riding back and forth in a forest for ten minutes.
2: Anyway, if your horse gets... Worn out, you just pull over to the side of the road and just like open up the hood, let it steam for a couple of minutes, and hope another horse rider will come down and like give you something for the fan belt or something. I thought That's you were talking poop. about pooping. <laughs> <laughs> like... Well, I wasn't, but
0: <laughs> well, like, do you know, like, horse poop steams and it does, it does.
2: <laughs> I, I'll take your words for it. Um, <laughs> not an expert on horse poop, <laughs> but.
0: <laughs> How much you run horses, Ollie? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I've, I've
2: spent i spent a lot of time riding horses as a kid. I just don't want to talk about horse. <laughs>
0: no, <I laughs> okay, want. we'll just I'll just I'll go back to sitting over here. It's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Don, with your horse shit. <laughs> um <laughs> so William uh, forges patents of nobility for Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein, uh, who's from Gelderland. Um so, or Sarah, where is Gelderland?
3: Gelderland is now in the Netherlands. So I find it a little weird that he's obviously then supposed to be Dutch. At various points in the movie, people do make clear that they know Gelderland is like a different place that is neither England nor France. But then every now and then they're like, oh yeah, he's English. And also nobody seems to be like, why doesn't this man speak Dutch? Or demonstrate in any way that he is Dutch rather than English.
2: Yeah, it is really weird. Uh, also, Nichtenstein. Is nowhere near Holland, um, right? It's, it's a country between Germany and Austria,
3: right? Also, this
0: is a real person's name.
3: Yeah, we looked him up. He was around in the 13th century. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
2: Was he really good at the old jousting?
3: I don't think he really did much that was very interesting. No, he was
0: just like just you're like a knight. Yeah, just a knight. Yeah, doing knight stuff. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: that's pretty cool.
0: Um,
1: yeah,
3: he also, by the way, on his patents of nobility, he has um his you know heraldic symbol which is this uh black double-headed eagle
2: looks mm, very familiar Sarah.
3: it does if you are familiar with medieval heraldic symbols he basically just has the symbol of the Habsburg family who at the time are the holy roman emperors so that seems like a weird choice to make as well to just like take <laughs> this random person who's english say no this is like a dutch dude related to the holy roman emperors
2: i'm a dutch dude from a country that isn't holland and I also am related to the people who run Rome. Like it just seems. Like, wait, right. what's he going for? Like? He's adopted. I mean, like they're
3: not really running Rome, because <laughs> Roman emperor is kind of a misnomer. But they are running Germany. Oh,
2: so the Roman Empire wasn't set in Italy.
3: No, uh, the Holy Roman Empire was neither Holy Roman nor an empire. That is, in fact, the thing this that yeah
2: is fascinating to me. What? So why was it in Germany?
3: I mean, that's because that's just where they're from. It's just that basically the Pope named Charlemagne the Holy Roman Emperor. And so every now and then they would kind of exert claims over Rome subsequently, but usually they weren't really very successful in doing so. And their claims over Italy really just came from the fact that the Pope sometimes would tell them, yeah, you can technically be the emperor of Rome. Um, But Germany was where the family was actually kind of based,
2: essentially. That's I did not know that. That's why I looked at this podcast. I get the learns stuff. Then we get to uh, a scene set in ruin where he meets a beautiful noble woman named Jocelyn, played by Shannon Sossman, who's very attractive. And then he kind of follows her along on his horse, trying to uh, trying to chat her up. He's not particularly good at this. No, he is so
0: bad at this. I mean, she has a very strong fashion game. Yes.
2: I I I would let you people. Does she? <laughs>
3: Yes, Yes, we love her outfits. All of them. This one wasn't my favorite. She has a couple that I like more coming up.
0: Yes, the only one I think I was slightly disappointed in was the nightgown. I felt like underwhelmed.
3: Yeah, but it is a nightgown. This one she has this kind of like white uh, gable hood, um, which like it's fine. It just like it wasn't, it's not very flattering.
0: It's felted too, Yeah, which feels very not comfy to me.
3: Yeah. And then it's just like a robe kind of dress, but it's not the most gorgeous and or interesting of her dresses. Mm-hmm. So, we'll have more to say about Jocelyn's fashion throughout.
0: <laughs> but I loved her I hat. Don't... Yeah. It's like the weird, strange like, diamond thing.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's called a gable hood, I think.
0: Thank you. I yeah. don't know these things.
3: Uh, Catherine of Aragon, I believe, uh, one yes. of Henry VIII's wives, was really into that sort of hat.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it <laughs> does really suit her. And um, what I thought was weird about it is he kind of doesn't seem to realize he's walked his horse into a church. Right. Which is weird. Like, how do you not notice you've walked into a building with a horse? She's not that pretty.
3: (laughs) The bishop then is also really not thrilled by this whole situation, which is kind of great. Um, And uh, she has a
0: really good line where she says, my sex is admired for their silence. Yeah. Which I also appreciated that she actually had like a feminine, feminine, sorry, a feminist lean to her immediately, even though she's definitely like, flirtatiously doing it i think she wants to see how far she can take it
3: yeah she has a very feminist general lean i would say which um is one of the things that sometimes weirds me out about medieval movies that they basically just plot modern feminists into the 14th century but you know what in this movie i will allow it on the grounds that i think i can call it a deliberate anachronism here
1: oh
0: for sure so just like when she starts arguing with the bishop and telling him basically like oh my beauty blah 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 like It's such a, it's such a...
3: It's such a curse. I pray that God take it away.
0: Yeah. And he's like, pray your beauty fades swiftly so you may better serve the Lord.
3: And then she actually has a really solid critique of church wealth, which is actually relatively in keeping with the period that after she goes through the whole, oh, I pray that my beauty fades, you know, he reaches out and, you know, gives her his ring to kiss. And then she like kisses up his hand and looks at the ring and goes, oh, that is just lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, you know, he has this whole, like, beauty is such a curse, but on the other hand, needs to spend, like, a ton of money on this, like, really fancy, gorgeous ring.
2: Right. It is a very, very nice ring. And then we get back to the jousting tournament, and we find out that uh, Jeffrey, Mr. Chaucer himself, has a bit of a gambling problem, and has literally gambled away his clothing. Again.
3: Yes, we also, this is a really great moment, um, if you are familiar with Chaucer and his work, The Canterbury Tales, because the men to which he gambles his clothing away to are Simon the Summoner and Peter the Partner. Uh, So a summoner is somebody who would basically give out uh, summons to, uh, would like summon you to an ecclesiastical court and tended to be known for perhaps often being corrupt. And a partner is a person who literally sells papal indulgences, which, of course, would become a hot button issue during the Protestant Reformation. Um, so these are people who are associated with kind of corrupt or problematic elements, especially in the church, but in medieval society in general. And the way in which the characters are depicted is very, very closely drawn from his description of the characters of a summer and summoner and a partner in the Canterbury Tales
2: then we get to the tournament and uh they have a sword fight um and he wins the sword fight competition because he's really good with the sword but he doesn't want to be the winner of the sword competitions he wants to win the jousting competitions all the time
3: yes um he also of course in the process of going into this tournament, he manages to break up his, to break his armor pretty badly and also is out of money because he spent all of his money on paying Chaucer's gambling debts.
0: Right. So then when he's trying to convince a blacksmith that he's good for it, he goes down a long line, I think four or five of them, maybe four. Yeah. And finally he stumbles upon a woman who is a blacksmith, which as you can Probably assume is not a common thing mm-hmm. at this. We'll end. talk about that more later. <laughs> and he basically manipulates her by lying to her and goading her to fix his, her his armor for her.
3: Yeah, for him, I'm sorry. She's a great character, but it's not great that their relationship kind of begins with him gaslighting her.
0: <laughs>
2: right. It's weird that uh she's shown to be incredibly competent and intelligent, and of all of his little groupies. Um, including Chaucer, she seems to be the one who seems to have her head on her shoulders, and she gets tricked into doing something like a six-year-old. Yes. And by
3: him basically like, negging her, too, he's like, oh, yeah. they all said you can't do it, that you're, like, shit at doing armor.
2: That's exactly what it's like. It's like, they said you are going to you wouldn't be able to do it for me. And she's like, what? What? I'm definitely going to do it now. It's like, come on. This, this, like, she still wouldn't do that. Like Her character wouldn't fall for that sort of thing. But Apparently she does and she does uh sign her armor with uh, the nike symbol and she makes him like a cool set of lightweight armor which looks really badass it does it yeah. really
3: is nice it's really solid armor and so she ends up basically joining their entourage
2: yeah and um, she joins their entourage and starts to hang around with them and um, despite the fact that i still don't think there's a logical reason for her to do it uh she just kind of shows up like
0: well, I think the idea was they for her are... to get to Paris.
3: Right, but then she does just end up going Farther, with
2: them to everywhere. London.
0: Yeah, well, I think that at that point, she kind of like actually liked them then.
3: Right. But it's also not entirely clear why she wants to go to Paris. Prosperity.
0: I mean, you know, everybody wants to go to Paris,
3: <laughs> I guess, but...
2: Yeah, I want to go to Paris. Sounds yeah. pretty damn sweet. Me too. Um, so, uh, we then get to meet the bad guy of the movie, Count Adamar. Ah uh,
3: Count Adamar, Count Adamar is uh, William's rival in both jousting and in love. He is trying to win over Jocelyn, which he basically does by mansplaining jousting to her.
0: Oh jeez, this is so <laughs> painful to watch, oh. <laughs> I was just like, oh, shut up. I want you to punch him in the throat.
3: Yeah, so he's terrible. <laughs> William, however, shows up and his pickup lines are also just about as terrible. Oh,
0: I mean, his are even worse.
3: I think he says, like,
0: what if is that's your possible. name?
3: Or do angels have no names? Yeah. It's like, come on, dude.
0: It's like the kind of stuff I would hear at, like, the teen night at a dance club. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good.
2: Uh, Ademar is, is creepy, but uh, the dude looks good.
3: He does. Rufus Sewell is a gorgeous man. But a gorgeous
2: man. But his armor, even his, his clothing is choice.
3: Yeah, so I was I mixed up something in my notes, by the way, so don't repeat that. So it's he doesn't have the gold armor, somebody else had the gold armor, but he has that like black armor to yeah. demonstrate how evil yeah. he is. It's
0: Total rocky, good versus evil thing.
2: Yeah. The gold armor is uh, is the guy the first guy that um uh that William knocks off his horse. And uh, everyone's like, oh, look at William's crappy new armor. And then he gets something that's really light, and then he knocks off the dude with the cool gold armor.
3: Right. And this also, by the way, is the scene which is one of my favorite of Jocelyn's outfits, where she has this cool, like, black and white sort of art deco ensemble with this really amazing hat that almost kind of makes me rethink hats as a fashion Oh, the choice. linen
0: black? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was really, really pretty. Also, I appreciate like all the the nods to like sports, in in throughout the anytime they're jousting, yeah. There's literally a person run like walking around and yelling like mead and beef on a stick, which is like very much how like football or baseball games are here. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that little touch. a little subtle thing. Yeah,
2: uh, and then we get some awesome scenes of Chaucer doing hype man.
0: He yes, it's getting better and better.
3: I first met him on a mountaintop in Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, I was like, is he talking about Gandhi? Like,
3: like... <laughs> He also has to spit that he's like saved this beautiful Italian woman from the advances of her dreadful Turkish uncle. Um, and like, attributes confusing... to Elric's the epithets yeah. of enforcer of our Lord God and protector of Italian virginity.
2: Uh, and at this point... I... I remember sending Sarah, I think I sent Sarah a picture of my favorite UFC fighter, Joel Romero, the Romero, as he pronounced because he's Brazilian, who calls himself the warrior of God, and at various points has called himself the enforcer of our Lord God, and it's awesome. Do you think he liked this this movie? I'd say he absolutely loved this movie. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me happy for him. I wonder if he's a protector of Italian virginity as well, though.
3: I don't know. Maybe I mean, Brazilian? those Turkish uncles. He's Brazilian, yeah. Mm. I mean, I would guess no, but. Um, so yes, they have their you know fight. They they joust against one another, and Adamar defeats William because William is good, but he is not that good. Um, however, him being basically just a dick to William. Um, So he, like, essentially basically starts, like, making fun of him for how, like, cheap his armor, how, like, cheap and old-fashioned his armor is, and, you know, just in general as a jerk, manages to turn Jocelyn against him and make her, like, William much better.
1: Oh,
0: she, like, yeah, she goes from, like, mediocre standing him to, like, not wanting him to ever be in the same room with her.
3: Yeah, and then kind of decides she's into William and sends her lady-in-waiting to go invite William to the dance which uh, she does by saying, you know, what will you be dressing so that I can dress to match you?
2: <laughs> yeah, he does. He wants to dress to match him. At him. Uh, there is one important scene here where uh, we didn't talk about where William meets Thomas Colville. Yes. Sir so Thomas Colville, who will turn out to be a very important character later on in the movie. Yes, he will. This is the first of three meetings with him, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, at this point, he does not know who Sir Thomas Colville is.
3: But he does demonstrate that he is a good person who has honor because uh, Thomas Colville doesn't want to, essentially doesn't want to withdraw. He doesn't want to just drop out and not finish the match, but he's injured. And so he basically tells William that. And so William goes up against him, but they both like raise their lances and, you know, don't actually tilt at each other. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so, you know, he demonstrates his, you know, honor and his mercy by having behaved in such a way.
2: Yeah, because Sir Thomas Calvin has never pulled out of the match before and he doesn't want to take the dishonor. And at this point, today, they, know, they know that he is a very good jouster and has perfect technique to describe him as.
3: Yes. Um, so then we do have the dance. We have uh, So we have the scene where um, Jocelyn's lady-in-waiting comes to invite him to the dance on behalf of Jocelyn. Mm. Um, uh, and so, you know, the immediate response is, to Nick, what color is my tunic? Uh, Roland mm-hmm. steps forward uh, with a kind of awkward description of the tunic as being various shades of green with wood toggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get into the scene of essentially figuring out how we are going to pull off um, this whole dance situation. And, um, and then like with the whole dance situation they also end up
0: um basically like they have to teach him how to dance so and there's a small dancing too. montage yeah <laughs> where it's they're all it's a very good dancing montage yeah they're just all kind of trying to figure it out and also yeah watch failing basically miserably and then Kate comes to the rescue again and is like yes i know how to dance
3: yeah
2: <laughs> uh i i wonder why does.
3: Chaucer really should know how to dance. I think he knows how to dance. He's just shit at teaching other people to dance.
0: Yeah, because he just wants to talk.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's like interspersing, actually teaching them to dance with making fun of what? Who has a temper and then just like keeps punching him in the face.
2: (laughs) Um. (laughs) That's true. He he also uh, threw some glorious shade at uh, the similar, where he says, um, uh, I was naked for a day but you would be naked for eternity. I will
3: eviscerate th- you in fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. So good. Is there also, is this one, one of the first of the childhood flashbacks happens?
0: Yes. Yeah, so when he was actually knocked knocked back by, uh, when he was in, his, in the jousting scene, even he, his helmet flips off and he kind of like, I'm assuming just kind of got like, maybe even just like a minuscule amount of time like kind of knocked out maybe. He has that childhood flashback of him, seeing himself as a child and his father together, uh, seeing the knights parading through town, and how he wished to be one when he grew up. And yeah. his dad trying to be very kind about it. And uh, it's like an, another person nearby is like he's scoffing. like a dude
3: in the stocks. It's yeah. like, haha, you could never be a knight, you poor
0: right? Food. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. What does the father say to follow your own stars?
0: Yeah, there's change a lot of... Your, yeah, uh, yeah, at the very beginning.
3: Change your stars. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's initially expressed as a like impossib- a statement of impossibility that he's like, I want to be a knight. And then the guy in the stocks is like, ha, huh, you'd be more likely to change the stars. And then he very earnestly and adorably is like, can I do that, daddy? Can
0: I change the stars? Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Child actors. <laughs> yes. like
0: <laughs> Although seriously, if they like, needed to find a kid that looked exactly like Heath Ledger, they, they nailed it.
2: They did a good job. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. And... Um, the dance is the most awkward thing ever, in part because Rufus Sewell is like a huge jerk and is like, why don't you teach everybody a dance from Gelderland um, to William? William can barely even dance, much less teach anyone to dance. Um, Jocelyn, however, takes pity on him and helps him with the whole dance situation. And basically they are like very charming and dancing together and having a lot of fun. And Rufus Sewell, um, Adamar is just brooding in the background.
2: God, like, he gets good brood.
3: He is so sexy when he broods, even though and he's it, like a terrible person.
2: He, you could just tell. Like anybody who looks over him is going to be seeing pure evil in the heart of that man. It's like, I oh yeah, destroy this, this blonde dude. Yes.
0: yes, and then they dance to disco. Yeah, they they do some pretty strong Saturday Night Fever moves <laughs> towards the end of that <laughs> montage.
2: Yeah, it's a, re- it's a really fun dancing scene type thing.
0: I mean, I think I could probably actually reenact that scene. It's not a complicated dance. It's like
2: hmm.
0: it's like one part Macarena and one part like electric slide, I think.
3: <laughs> I mean, I couldn't, but I famously like am a terrible, terrible dancer, so.
0: I could teach you, I bet.
2: There's some good clapping in the
0: middle of the dance. Yeah, you have to be able to clap, so yeah. you can do that. You have both arms.
3: I have a terrible sense of rhythm though.
0: Mm. We'll see. Yeah. All else fails, you just put one arm up in the air and you shake your butt.
2: Uh, so then we get another sort of montage of uh, of fight scenes. Um, and in one of them, we find out uh, who uh, Thomas Colville actually was. Um, he was about to fight Colville. Uh, Adamar. So Adamar Colbert. is, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Adamar pulls out because it turns out that it's Edward, the Black Prince, and heir to the throne. And I believe, grandson of. Yeah. King
1: Edward.
3: He's grandson. son of King Edward III. Uh, of
1: Longshanks.
3: A Great grandson. So he's the son great of King grandson. Edward III. So grandson of Edward II, great grandson of Edward I, Longshanks, Hammer of the Scots.
0: We also get a beautiful outfit again by Jocelyn with the mesh boob situation. Oh, and that yeah. really good hat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh william however does get in and judge against edward and edward's like you knew who i was and you joshed me anyway and um like william's like yeah why wouldn't i so what i respect you both, so going to beat your ass
0: yeah they're both both bonding over kind of being toxic assholes
3: <laughs> both of us are really stubborn pricks so yeah. like we're best buddies now <laughs>
0: Which I understand there's like a level of respect, like it's kind of like dueling.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's...
0: Which it's I'm really nice. happy we haven't brought that back.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a thing that we can live without in modern society. We just
0: get school shootings instead.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, he, William, however, is very angry because although he then ends up winning... it's a, So he ends up winning the tournament but because Adamar withdrew he's like well i didn't really win because it doesn't count as a victory unless i beat adamar um, and then is basically just a huge jerk to Jocelyn for no reason at all and i'm kind of into her at this point because then uh, you know she basically you know starts this whole thing about a flower in this kind of flirtatious way and he's like what good's a flower i just want to beat adamar and like you suck and you're just a silly girl And then she goes, better a girl with a silly girl with a flower than a silly boy with a horse and a stick. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it's true. This is a, I hated this because he's just a twat in this movie at this point. Like, there's literally no reason for him to-
0: He's a spoiled brat. Be grumpy. He's basically being a spoiled brat. Like, I want it all. Like, I want my Oompa Loompa. Mm -hmm.
2: But he shouldn't be. (laughs) be.
0: Like, he is that kid in the movie at that point. Like- He has had, you know, too much, too quickly, in my opinion, of, like, winning. Yeah. And he, like, temporarily loses sight of the fact that, like, being a knight isn't about just winning. It's about also having, like, a good moral compass.
3: Well, and the fact that he's very clearly doing extremely well for himself for a dude that was like born to a quite poor thatcher in london also
0: like two months ago i think in this timeline he was like literally hoping a dead man would walk so he could get a piece of like meat
3: yeah
2: hmm. uh, at this point adamar pulls out of all future tournaments because he goes off to join the war
3: yes yeah, so he's been sent off to fight in the hundred years war um this is the only evidence that we have during this entire movie that we are in fact smack in the middle of the Hundred Years' War between England and France. Um, and
2: because he's been away, that gives uh, our hero, William, free reign to um, free reign to win tournaments and also to woo uh, Jocelyn.
0: But at the same time, when he is hanging out on like the conflict front, he manages to...
3: Have all of the tournament victory reports sent to him.
0: Like, I think, no, I think he had that page actually go and get all of them somehow. Yeah, like, like
3: when he's in the middle of fighting in the Battle of Poitiers, it, you know, says at the, at the bottom.
0: Which I know horses can ride quickly, but that's a lot of area to cover.
3: Yeah. And they're like very <laughs> fancy looking certificates, too. Like, it doesn't look like the sort of thing that there would really have been like a ton of different copies of. Yeah. It oh, so I strange. read.
2: I read that scene slightly differently. I, I thought that he didn't know anything about it. And then they bring them all to him in one go. Oh, I
0: thought and it was a page that there. went and got all of them and came back and had them.
2: Yeah, but yeah. that's what I mean. Like, so he wasn't getting them contemporaneously. He got them. So like, say he was away for seven months. He got all seven months worth of tournaments in one go handed to him. And then he's like That's what we mean.
0: Yeah, no, I think
3: that's right. It's just that yeah, it's like that how did he get them? Like I feel like it's weird that his page was able to just like grab all of these like fancy certificates and like what he was sent just to like ride around all of France to just like grab all of these. Yeah, and, like
0: that's so a poor use of resources. He's a yeah. super
2: he's a super rich dude. Like this is no different from um, the guy at the beginning having a squire a chef and a tailor when he was poor.
3: Well, right, except this one, it's like you're fighting an actual war.
0: Don't you have anything better to do?
2: Yeah, but Adamar is obsessed with winning as much as winning. Well
0: maybe a headcanon, he was also like dropping off some like plagues <laughs> to other people <laughs> when he was dropping picking up. Off some plagues. <laughs> like to the to like you know, he's like he's a little bit of a spy or something. I don't know. We'll give him a <laughs> secondary
2: purpose. <laughs> he doesn't need a secondary purpose I said, if if you're that rich, and is clearly super rich, and he's super invested in this, he just says, I want you to follow them around and then bring me the results. In time for the World Championships.
3: Yes, but so uh, first, uh, you know, we have all of these moments where we see William winning a bunch of tournaments, and he also feels bad about being such a jerk to Jocelyn, so he sends her a very nice letter. Um so it's like a real
0: Cyrano situation.
3: Yeah, like the letter is basically like composite written by him and his buddies with Chaucer pulling way less than of his weight than he should considering that he's literally a professional writer.
0: You know what though, I appreciate that because I wouldn't want someone to ghostwrite a love letter to me.
3: Well, it's just that instead four people ghostwrote the love letter.
0: But it was like at least at least then it's like a community involvement yeah. versus being like I can't write for shit, you do this.
3: Yeah, it does end up then being really awkward because, of course, he is not as well-spoken in person as the combination of him and his four friends, one of whom is a professional writer, is. And so she's like, I want you to speak poetry to me. And he sort of looks at her and goes, your breasts, they're above your throat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your throat.
0: (laughs) You have have (laughs) a...
3: And then goes your beauty will I will win this tournament for you and your beauty will be reflected. And that in the sets her of off.
0: And she's like you're
3: fucking kidding me.
0: And then I turn to Sarah and I'm like flanks, and she's like butt, and I'm like oh, so like butt steak. Yeah, it's
3: like you. I want to I want to let everyone to look at this horse's ass and think of you. <laughs> so not quite as impressive as person in person.
0: So, Um, yeah, then she basically tells him he has to lose for her to prove it.
3: Yes. And so he starts to do that, which is very unfortunate for his friends, because his friends have just been basically goaded by a bunch of French dudes into betting a ton of money that William will beat, will win. And so they basically bet that a French knight will win and they bet and uh, Williams retinue bets that he will win. Um, then, of course, they get there. He starts actively losing. Like, he basically just stands there. She is so turned on by the fact that he is deliberately listening. I mean, honestly,
0: it was kind of like she might have been humping that, like... like yeah, it's like,
3: a, like her grabbing beam. that pole is kind of like a sexy scene. Yeah, that
0: beam, like, she was, like, close. she was pressing her body against that beam as hard as she could. Oh, yeah.
2: She was really enjoying it. I still don't understand why... <laughs> He agreed to it
0: because but he loves because her. he actually loves her ollie didn't you listen yeah but
2: but at the same time <laughs> he loves her does she not love him
0: well she has already like approved she's proved that
2: how is she proven it by asking him to lose i would say she if you love somebody people you don't make them prove that they love them you just go for it like yeah but, in, but that's what opinion, you did back a... then <laughs> but, but why is it what you did back then it's just it just it's a scene where it seems like she gets to have her chance to be shitty because he had his chance to be shitty earlier on
3: yeah so I mean I think it's definitely a kind of jerk move in the context of oh I think though. it's completely
2: yeah. shitty yeah. yeah
3: in the context I'm not of up though, for there it. is this whole thing that like she clearly has about how everyone's like oh I'm winning this for you and she's like no you're winning that for yourself I don't really have anything to do with it um, uh, and that this whole, like, essentially pretense, this, like, courtly love pretense of I'm doing all of these things for the love of a lady is really just a way to hide the fact that really you only care about your own glory and, like, and prow- and military prowess, essentially.
0: Yeah, like, instead of winning by losing, it contradicts the self-love that him always having to win is what he's chasing. Yeah. So then basically the obedience is to her and not to his ego. Right.
2: Yeah. So, again, he doesn't have to be obedient to her. It's just her being selfish.
0: Well,
3: she's a
2: princess.
0: Yeah, she's
3: she's very fancy.
0: <laughs> look at the hats.
3: Those are They're some fancy hats. Um, but he does then eventually... She does then eventually say, actually, I changed my mind. Now I want you to win. Um... Which he does. There's also an amazing guy in the audience who has his face painted like you would at a, you know, modern European football game, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, like has uh, has like face paint of William's Habsburg um, uh, heraldic symbol, um, which is like kind of great. And the look on that guy's face when um, William starts to lose is kind of priceless
0: so Sarah you had a really good point though like how she's just kind of wandering around Europe yeah. <laughs> unaccompanied <laughs> uh,
3: yeah so all, this entire scene she clearly has a father because he's on occasion referred to we don't know exactly what her status is but she's clearly very very high nobility because at various points she's seems sitting next to like the king um and so clearly she's you know a pretty important person. And people of that or well, women of that status generally were fairly well supervised, at least in the sense that she would have had a pretty big entourage going around with her, which at least in theory were supposed to be trying to prevent her from like having sex with men, Um, which they, it's a good thing she doesn't have that group of people because then she can like sneak into William's tent and have sex with him after he has, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of this tournament, I think.
0: Yeah, she just goes and bones down. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she sneaks in. It's it's really weird because she doesn't even seem to have that much difficulty getting away from anybody at all.
0: No. I also think, like, her BFF handmade person doesn't care.
3: <laughs> I mean, her BFF handmade person is, like, clearly on board with just making all of this stuff happen for her. Oh, yeah. Like, that's clearly, the, like, her point. But I feel like in the actual Middle Ages, like the handmaiden would be at least like helping her get past a bunch of other people who are supposed to be properly supervising her while she wanders around Europe. And those people just don't exist.
0: So like, this is very pedantic of me and probably not really that important to bring up, but they're always poor throughout all of this because every time they start winning money, they have to spend it on stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he still has a tent somehow.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like, I wonder if it, did they, they like might have provided the tents.
0: Did they deconstruct the jacket after he wore it and re like patch the tent?
3: I wonder if they provide the tents.
2: I I imagine that they're, they've been making enough to still provide themselves with that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so they're not getting mega rich, but they've probably got enough. If he's been winning tournament after tournament after tournament, he's but how do you find that same statue. fabric
0: again? Because it's the same color,
3: right? Yeah, and you do also see them getting like increasingly nice clothing. I would yes, say.
0: the clothing got much better when they were in the bar,
3: um, which does actually make sense because yes. you know a member of the nobility and his entourage should be dressed like way better
0: than, than these people are wearing, dressed, wearing like linen rags. Yeah.
3: Um. So, Adamar, as we were said before, had managed had heard of William's victories. Um, and so he is, I guess, so upset that like, you know, he's just like you know he's like, okay, I guess I can like be done with the war. Um, turns out, in fact, that Edward is so deeply unhappy with his conduct during the war and his general kind of marauding and pillaging um, to you know, make sure we all know Adamar is still a jerk.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so that he's been dismissed. And now uh, William and Adamar are both in London for the World Championship.
0: And as they're writing in, though, we get a second flashback of when William is taken to meet what was the original knight's name? Hector. Hector. And he's a child then because his father's basically providing him with an opportunity to become an apprentice of sorts or a squire, squire's apprentice. And that's how he ends up involved in this to be, to, in the beginning.
3: Right. Um, we find out he's been gone for England from tw- gone from England and presumably also has not seen his father for twelve years.
2: Hmm. Um, gone from England. I, I wonder if. No, I was going to say perhaps the original uh, knight was from Gatherland, but he was clearly British too.
3: Everyone's clearly either British or French in this movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um. But yeah, so Adamar comes back and he's gonna take place or part in the tournament, and we are clearly getting set up for a William versus Adamar final showdown. They're in opposite sides of the draw, and we get to see them beating everybody who comes in front of them.
3: Yes, yeah, so we also get a couple of really choice oh, scenes of basically look how much of a horrible person Adamar is. Um <laughs> uh, so he like says something to William like I've heard you've been winning trophies and horses and women all across Europe. And William and says something like, oh, in that order? And Adamar's like, yes, generally. And then starts to make a ton of comments comparing Jocelyn to both a trophy and a horse, uh, which are kind of icky.
0: <laughs> yeah, trophy, horses, women, in that yeah. order. Yeah. I'm glad we all wrote that down.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Um, And also, by the way, informs William that he is in negotiations with Jocelyn's father to uh, to marry her, because that is in fact how marriages would have generally worked in the Middle Ages, is that the woman and her opinions are actually completely irrelevant. And you would just talk to her dad and you would figure out a whole thing with a dowry.
2: And he springs this on both of them, just like, oh, I'm in negotiations with your dad and everyone's shocked and appalled by this but i mean as sarah's pointed out many times on the show like this is what happened back then arranged marriages were a thing yeah it was just the way you lived
3: yeah i mean it's a weird thing in medieval movies that people either seem to just generally not know arranged marriages exist or be just horrified at the prospect that they would have to participate in one um whereas for even people of quite you know lower status than somebody like jocelyn or Adamar, it would have been absolutely the norm
0: Isn't that more of like a reflection, though, on our society, wanting to kind of like pump into like the ideology of film that love is supposed to be this Hallmark-esque thing and not like an actual contractual obligation to another human?
3: Right. It's a very much, I would say, modern idea of essentially the kind of concept of companionate marriage, that marriage should be a relationship based on love um and that you know you should you know care about your partner and you know be partners in a kind of meaningful way um whereas if you the even looks at- it was all about like alliances and status and money
0: yeah cuz like if you even look at like tra- if you even look at traditions uh you know just in western society like people didn't even have like anything beyond basic bands exchanged until like basically the 1930s, 40s in the United States. Yeah. And that was only, like, with the exception of the extreme wealthy. And then when the inclusion of teenagers existed to justify the baby boomers and that ongoing <laughs> <laughs> age gap that was existing because people didn't necessarily want to do trades, so then it became, like, a aspect of modern wealth. Right. To, like, see it as, like, a love focus versus a historical focus which t- when you're looking at these types of movies and focusing heavily on medieval times and every time i say that i think of literal medieval times <laughs> the restaurant a place
3: where i weirdly have never been because i assume i probably can't handle it
0: we should go tomorrow we should i live by one <laughs> and uh my whole point sorry i, I don't want to, to you know ramble on like i am it's just the idea that I think when you have people writing these scripts, they're still they're still stuck on this idea of, like, love is supposed to be the be-all and end-all of why someone would be coupled.
3: Right, yeah. But so that's a very kind of modern idea mm-hmm. that then gets kind of included in these films, whereas, if anything, in the Middle Ages, people almost thought marriage was incompatible with love. Yes. And that your true love would almost definitely be somebody who was not the person you were married to.
0: Exactly. Which is why people were always, like, banging people on the side.
3: Yeah. Hmm. <laughs>
2: Uh, during the tournament, um, William sneaks out in the middle of the night and gets kind of followed by Adamar, but he's going to find his dad. We haven't seen him in, was it, 12 years? Yeah, yeah, roughly. And during this time, his dad has gone blind. Yeah. It's a very sad scene.
3: And because he's gone blind, he can't really thatch roofs that effectively anymore, so he has a hole in his own roof. And one of the kind of, you know, very striking scenes is that William then goes up on the roof, uh, uh, get, like, goes up on the roof and Adamar sees him climbing out to thatch the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's also like, I mean, the way he, like, when he comes in and sees his father for the first time in 12 years, and, uh, you know, his father doesn't, like, know who he is at first, um, and then he has to kind of, you know, do the, like, gradual reveal. Like, that scene, legit, almost always makes me cry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very affecting scene. It's actually, that's a lovely, that whole scene where he's talking to his dad and he's passing on a message from him to his dad and stuff. It's very nice. He said, like he says, he changed his stars and his dad just seems so happy. He doesn't even know it's him at that point, but he just seems so happy to know that William's okay.
3: Yeah. Well, he says, uh, he says at some point, like he changed the stars and then his dad says, and did he follow his feet? Because that's what he says to him in one of the f- other flashbacks. And, you know, William's like, how will I know the way home? And his dad says, you'll have to, like, you'll just follow your feet.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's so cute.
0: It is very, very yeah. sweet.
2: He should have clicked his heels three times. He? <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: have then, back from France. and then they all do this while sharing some wine and a medieval version of a charcuterie board.
3: Yeah. It looks yummy.
2: Yeah. It looks awesome. And mm-hmm. um, his dad's really down his looks. He can afford all the, the fancy hams and cheeses. And mm-hmm. um, but... <laughs> He gets caught, and Ademar is like, Hmm, I don't think this guy's a noble at all. So he goes and has a look at the, uh, the uh, patents of nobility, and it turns out that they're false, and William has been revealed.
3: Yes, yeah, so William shows up, greets all of his friends. He's in a very, very good mood because, you know, he's seen his dad, he's happy. Um, but his entourage and Jocelyn are all there and Chaucer tells him that he is, has been discovered. He's going to be arrested. Um, there's this whole thing at this point where William basically says like, no, I have to stand up and stay and face this. Everyone else tells him to run. Yeah,
0: they're like, no, you need to just get out of here. And I will say, though, we were talking about this trope before we recorded Ali. And it's kind of refreshing that. They could have used a really empty plot device here where like the woman gets mad because she's been quote unquote tricked. We see that a lot in movies or even the male and you know she actually is just like, I don't give a shit who the fuck you are. <laughs> like just don't I yeah. don't die, please. Like I love you. And like <laughs> yeah. Run away. Like, yeah. Run away. And I'm yeah. like, that's kind of nice, because how many films have you watched over the years where, like, the movie would have been good, except for they had to put that in there?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just, like, a lazy plot device. Yeah. Every rom-com. Yes. Right. That's why I don't think I really, like, actually like most of them, because I'm just like, so she's gonna, like, figure this out, and he's gonna figure this out, and it's just gonna be this long, drawn out thing, and then they're gonna have a moment, and then we're gonna be fine. Right. <laughs> you can tell my, my tone <laughs> is not good with that. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Spend 2 hours dealing with that, I'll just watch a really bad television. Yeah. yeah.
2: So William gets thrown into the same stocks that uh, he was talking to the guy at the beginning, I, I
1: think. Yeah. So um
2: he's not in stocks, people are throwing fruit at him and it's not a good it's not good for him. It's a good scene to watch, but it's not a good scene for uh, for William and um, his friends kind of stand around and are trying to defending him, trying to get the crowd to stop. And then Lord Edward arrives. Prince Edward. Prince Edward.
3: Yeah, Prince Edward. And so he gets up as this, like, actually very sweet scene where he says, uh, you know, I would, it would be enough just to see how much you he says men, which is actually a little much since there is a woman standing right there. Kate is also there. She says, you know, uh, just the fact that your men love you so much, it would be enough. But also, um, I think he then says something about the fact that he, like, won't withdraw. Um, and, like, that is nightly, too, uh, that he has this in his nature. mm mm-hmm. And so then he, you know, stands up there and he makes this announcement and says, "My personal historians have discovered that William actually comes from an ancient royal line, and this (laughs) is my word and beyond contestation." Which of course means it's like super fake.
2: (laughs) I love beyond contestation because like who's going to argue? He's he's Prince Edward.
1: You're just going to be like,
0: "Hi, bye," (laughs) (laughs) like not screwing with you today. (laughs) Yeah, and he gets knighted, which is pretty much the ultimate goal that wasn't really even meant to be a goal. Like, I don't think he ever, in his wildest dreams, William thought that this would eventually happen. Right. Like, best case scenario, he'd get away with, like, ten years of being Ulrich.
3: Yeah. And at this point, you do start to have this big emphasis on the fact that, you know, he has been knighted, and that he is actually now able to fight under his own name, that he can be then announced as Sir William Thatcher.
1: Mm. Um,
2: And... He is, as we all expected, he's fighting Adamar in the final
1: and Adamar
2: decides to do a little bit of cheating. And it's a, uh, it's quite cool cheating because he sticks like a spike underneath his fist. He's had a fist on the end of his lance for the entire movie. It's been written.
3: As further just demonstration that he's a that he's just like a huge dick. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm punching you off your horse.
0: So it obviously worked really well because it ends up stabbing Heath Ledger like basically in the armpit, maybe even rotator cuff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, kind of rendering his arm useless at that point. Yeah,
3: he actually gets an astonishing amount of injuries over the course of this. Like, really Like, there was does. a bit of, like, earlier where he dislocated his shoulder, which I did earlier this year. <laughs> and watching this, like, relatively soon after I dislocated my shoulder, I was like, oh, thank God I did not do that in the 14th century. Because the, like, wooden contraption that they used to pop his back shoulder or his shoulder
0: back in is it's just like a so win. disturbing to it's, watch. Yeah, it's terrible. Anyway.
2: Chaucer steps in at this point because of the injury to William, and he knows that they need to stall for time. So he does another one of his introductions. It's uh, brilliant, um, and he even he wins over the uh, the hype man for Adamar and uh, and that gives them enough time to strap the lance onto William's arm and send him out without armor, which. It is, is
0: weird.
3: It
2: is stupid. <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, so they say at this point that because Adamar has hit him twice, he has to either unhorse him or kill him to win. But the other thing is that at this point, he is either going to win or he is going to die.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like committed himself to one or two extremes. Yeah. Also, like, but why it's... couldn't he just go at least in a helmet? You would think.
3: It's also, by the way, at this point, that so Jocelyn is late, but she shows up and she's brought his father yes. with, with her. Which it's, is,
0: everyone is, is time yes. traveling here.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but what is awesome is that uh, even if he does die, his dad won't see it because he's blind
3: Yeah, exactly. I bet Jocelyn didn't tell him that he was, like, riding out (laughs) without armor. Yeah, so he's just out there in (laughs) flip-flops. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I bet she was like, "Oh, William, what are you doing? And his dad's like, what, what? And she's like, uh, nothing. I think he's gonna do really good.
2: Jesus, that armor of his looks deadly. Yep. Um, He looks very safe. The weird thing about this is not having the armor on isn't going, like, if you're having a problem with your arm, take the armor off your arm. Uh, strap it on. He doesn't have to have his chest piece on.
3: He says he can't breathe with it on. Yeah. so Probably the injury has I don't know crushed a lung or something. <laughs> Who knows?
2: It's just uh, yeah. I really
0: hope he takes a break so... after that. Yeah.
2: But the thing about it is, like, even if he does land a solid hit right on um, Rufus 2's character, like every other time we've seen them jousting, both people have gotten hit.
3: Yeah. Do you know so, what I mean? Like, yeah.
2: like they're always both getting hit, and just it's, it's about who can take the hit the best. So the chances of him being able to completely miss Adamar's lance is very same. So even if he does manage to unseal them, chances are he's taking the hit and dying. But
3: it's a very charming movie that we're not going to have our hero die at the end of. So instead... Yeah. He does not die. He is able to unhorse Adamar. He uh, he actually yells just like bellows his own name mm-hmm. as he's riding forward.
2: Um, yeah, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> William. <laughs>
1: um,
3: yeah, and he's able to unhorse Adamar. And we see Ademar, um, you know, lying on the ground and looking up as, uh, so there was a bit earlier where he, you know, basically goes to William while he's in the dungeon and kind of beats him up and says, you know, while he's like changed to a pillar and says like, you have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting. And then mm. so, you know, there's this bit at the end where then like William and his friends are standing over him and saying like, you know, each one you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have absolutely been found wanting. Mm. And it's great. It's, and,
2: uh, like, very sad. It's great. Yeah. Rufus too looks so sad when he says it, yeah. And also yeah. completely dazed. It's brilliant.
3: Yeah. Um, so, you know, everyone's celebrating um, Heath Ledger and uh, Jocelyn are making out.
0: And, and then ACDC starts playing.
3: ACDC starts playing. <laughs> and Chaucer says, I really should write this all down.
2: <laughs> uh, I wonder what he would call that pick.
0: I wonder. No idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the end of the movie. It was very good. I enjoyed every, pretty much all of it.
3: Yeah. Not um, a big fan
2: of the scenes where uh, William is a dick to Jocelyn for no real reason. He yeah. To come out of nowhere and is completely out of character. Yes, you can be obsessed with stuff, but there's no reason to take it out on somebody who's not involved.
3: Yeah um so i really really love this movie a lot of the anachronisms are deliberate although there are definitely a few things here and there that are like little details that i'm kind of of the opinion that they could have gotten right
2: yeah but i mean you're gonna get that but we can talk about that <laughs> when we get to our summations at the end yes so our next section is where we like to talk about what the movie got right and what the movie got wrong it's called vera <laughs> And uh, and I'm gonna sit and let, I'm gonna learn some stuff because apparently there's something wrong with Adamar.
3: Yes. So uh, first, I'll do a couple of things that it got wrong. So Adamar, I have some really really nitpicky complaints about. Um, so I'm going to start with the most nitpicky of these, which is that the name Adamar kind of fell out of fashion by the late 11th century, and this is the 14th. <laughs> At this point, like everyone's just named John and William, like they've gotten rid of the cool-sounding names like Adamar. Um, so that was the thing that, like, I heard this. I'm like, you know, there are definitely some famous people named Adamar, but they were all really early. And then I looked it up, and yeah, no one's still being named Adamar at this point. <laughs> um, then I have a couple of like somewhat more substantial complaints related to Adamar. Which is so he's clearly presented as being English. It says at some point that, you know, he's under the command of Edward, the Black Prince, um, during the Hundred Years' War. However, it also says that he is the Count of Anjou. Anjou is in France. It was under English rule for uh, a century or so, but uh, was actually lost to the French by King John back in the early 13th century. So Adhemar could not have been an, you know, Englishman and the Count of Anjou. It also says that he is the leader of the free companies, uh, which are these uh, basically kind of group of marauding mercenaries. And on this watch, I immediately was able to say he absolutely was not because I just talked about the free companies on our timeline episode, because the yeah. actual leaders of the free companies at exactly this time is Arnaud de Cervolle. And also they are under the command, more or less, most of the time of the king of France, not the king of England
2: it was weird that they described him as being leader of the free companies as well, because even I recognized that he wasn't the leader of the French um, or part of the French army. So it was just weird. Um, Yeah. Like for them to go to the trouble of finding out that the the free companies was a thing and then to just misplace them in the wrong army.
3: Yeah. Um, So that I thought was like a very odd, just like mishmash of things that they did with Adamar that were like very weird. Um, On the other hand, though, I feel like this movie actually got a lot of little details right that I thought were really fun. Um, so first of all, there's the bit with our woman blacksmith, Kate. Uh, So first of all, there would potentially have been women blacksmiths who had basically taken over the trade from their husbands. It wasn't the most common example of that, of women taking over a trade, but it was definitely not unheard of. There are attested women um, blacksmiths and armorers and farriers. Um, and the Nike symbol that she puts on the armor is obviously a kind of, you know, silly modern reference, but, uh, you know, blacksmiths really would have put some kind of identifying mark on, um, their work.
2: Well, the good thing about this is in light of what we just talked about on Legend of the Sword episode last week, uh, it's good that we've had a woman who had a job that wasn't just a whore
3: exactly yeah that that's what i talked about last week is that there's this weird tendency in medieval movies that the only women who have jobs are prostitutes
0: yes
3: (laughs) so yeah it's nice that she has a different
0: job like oh she can have a trade as well yeah um modern
3: yeah and especially for like a widow that would have definitely been a possibility and in fact i'm like writing a book about you know real trades that women practiced so that's something that i know about um The uh, other, the Black Prince is, of course, a real person who sadly died in 1376 and did on at least one occasion disguise his identity to joust. Um, And also they do have him wearing his correct um, heraldic symbol, the combination of the fleur-de-lis of France, because the kings of England claimed that they were going to be the kings of France and the lion associated with England um, on one of his like cool leather jackets.
2: Yeah, he does have some awesome leather jackets. He
3: does. Um, yeah, so, you know, that wouldn't have obviously been how the heraldic symbol would have appeared, but it is really cool looking, and I kind of it, want that it, jacket.
2: It looks like a biker jacket. It's pretty cool It does. What, how did the Black Prince die?
3: Uh, he just died of dysentery. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, That's kind so of a he bummer. Was,
0: what? So that's a bummer.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, in the context of, like, so he was very um, active. He was, like, very important as a quite successful military commander during the Hundred Years' War. So I think it was at some point while he was on the road, he died of dysentery. And the heir to the throne ended up being his son, the future King Richard II, who, fun fact, got deposed and probably murdered by the son of Chaucer's patron, John of Gaunt. Small <laughs> um, circle there. Yeah. Uh, they do also like have a kind of brief bit where uh they're talking with her sort of goading a bunch of French people, and the French people say, you know, like the like even the Pope himself is French. And, you know, then <laughs> Roland says, like, yeah, the Pope is French, but Jesus is English. Um the Pope in fact I can't say anything about whether Jesus is English, but the Pope in this fact in this period would have not only been French, but actually would have been based in France.
2: Wait, Sarah? Yes. Jesus wasn't English. He might have just, been.
3: I'm I'm not no, saying he, no, he was definitely Irish. Wasn't. Was he Irish?
2: Yeah, of
3: course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so obviously Jesus was Irish. They so got that bit wrong, but the Pope was French <laughs> and, uh, yeah, living in France because this is the period where the papacy was based in the city of Avignon instead of in Rome. Um, And the other just, like, quick thing that I wanted to make a note of that I actually thought was kind of cool that I noticed on, our, on this second rewatch was that this movie actually does a better job than some of taking religion kind of seriously and implying that some people are actually pious in a kind of, you know, relatively subtle way. Um, Like that there are bits here and there where like William, like quotes something from the Bible um, and just like little indications here and there that, you know, these people, it's not the main focus of the film, but that these people, you know, believe in God, care about what the Bible says you know, take religion relatively seriously in their daily lives. And given the kind of emphasis on, like, weird irreverence in a lot of medieval movies, I appreciated that. Yeah,
2: what blesses himself a couple of times. Yeah. Background. Mm -hmm. scenes.
3: Yeah. Uh, The Bible also does provide William's perhaps worst pickup line.
0: Oh, no.
3: (laughs) Where she (laughs) says to Jocelyn, you remind me of the Bible. And she just looks at him like, (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about? And then he's like, you know that bit in Judges, where, sorry, in Joshua, where where God stops the sun so that I can, like, defeat some Canaanites?" And then she's like, (laughs) what? And he's like, well, like that, I want to stop the moon so I can hang out with you longer. And it's well, like, dude, really? Like, it, like that is way, way too much effort to like get to that, like, I wish, basically <laughs> like, I wish this night could last forever. And it's like, really, you had to go through that whole like biblical analogy to get there. Exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, on the whole, I will say, obviously this movie does not get everything right, but I think it's actually like a really fun representation of the medieval world in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, Um as I said, it's it's a lot easier to overlook anachronisms when they're deliberate.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's all this stuff about, like, her clothing obviously is, like, amazing, but it's obviously not medieval at all. You know, the music is obviously not medieval, etc. But, like, all of those things are, like, super deliberate and really fun. Good.
2: When we were watching, Sarah, I remember asking you about the tournaments, um, specifically about knights coming from Europe, because in my head, knights are British-based. And I didn't even think about the possibility of being French knights. I know there are, obviously, (laughs) I know there are Spanish knights, but I always just assumed everybody's British because, you know, I grew up over here. So would there have been knights from all of the other major cities and countries in Europe?
3: I mean, there are knights in every other European country. Um, They do all exist. They don't, however, usually... Like there's not that much of a tend as much of a tendency as there was in this movie for people to like wander around basically on a tournament circuit and like go somewhere just to fight in a tournament. Um, uh, that most of your kind of nightly group of participants for a tournament would be people who were basically from the country that it took place in, mm-hmm. um, or some in some cases they were tournaments that were held to celebrate you know some kind of alliance or treaty. And then there would be like knights that were kind of brought in from, you know, the one of the from the other country that they were having the treaty with. And so, you know, that would be kind of part of it is that you would have this slightly more international than usual audience. Um, but clearly they are getting at a kind of like international sports championship, um, uh, like World Cup kind of feel.
0: Yeah, because it, it's on the screen says like international jousting championship or something right yeah
3: yeah so like that's clearly like what they're getting at and that's definitely not what the tournament it's the super bowl of like. jousting exactly <laughs> um they're also like the turn also just to note as well the tournament is very focused on the act of jousting which makes sense because it is a kind of good dramatic representation it's also very good as a way to represent essentially a kind of conflict between two individuals because so much of the jousting is then about the like you know, personal rivalry between William and Adamar. But in reality, the main event of the tournament was actually the melee, this kind of, like, ridiculous giant mock battle. Um yeah. And jousting was kind of a side event.
2: Yeah, that's what I... Anytime uh, I've watched a movie like this here before, that would have been what I would have assumed as well, is that jousting was secondary. It was a good sign that you're a good horseman, but, like, the idea of being a good swordsman is everything to knights. Right. Right.
3: Uh, but that, yeah, it also would have been basically a kind of group event that you would have been divided into
2: teams, pretty much. Hmm. Um, as we know, uh, King Arthur in the Maryland TV show looked a good melee.
3: He did. And with his parkour skills.
2: Oh, his amazing parkour skills. Oh, sorry, awesome. that was the other
0: King Arthur. <laughs>
3: so,
2: well, Ali, that. I have
0: a question. Yes. Do you have renaissance fairs in Ireland? Okay, I figured. I know what they like... are, though.
2: They look super cool. But we, we...
0: Okay, I was just curious.
3: I feel like they're less common in Europe, where they actually had a medieval period. I know, it's like a weird I... thing that we have in America, where we didn't.
0: No, that's why I asked because they're so common here, and yeah. I was like, I bet this is like a weird US thing. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> okay.
2: Even there isn't an equivalent of medieval times over here. Yeah, that's
0: okay. You're not. I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> I've been. I've been there four times. <laughs>
3: I, as I said, I have never been to a medieval times because I know myself and I know that I will go and I'm really like, and I'll be like, you know, this is really not what medieval food was like at all.
2: They weren't eating turkey legs, which I assume is what everybody eats in medieval times. You
0: Uh, wouldn't just eat
3: like a hunk of meat on a spit. Yeah, it's
0: a piece of meat on a bone.
3: Yeah, but I mean, so medieval food is much more into like very like elaborate, weird preparations um, and very like heavily spiced food. Um, so, like, you wouldn't have been normal to just eat like basically a nice, like a kind of like single, like roasted hunk of meat that wouldn't have been considered, especially like nice cuisine in the Middle Ages.
2: It sounds delicious. So we'll move on to the, the next section where we're going to learn about somebody who actually existed in the medieval period. In this case, I, I imagine I can probably guess who Sarah's going to pick as our, as our, our main event, shall we say, for uh, taking the parlance of a tournament. So this is called. Historia et Veritas, which means uh, history and truth. So, Sarah.
3: Yeah, so since I think one of the most fun things about this movie is that Chaucer is just originally nakedly hanging out, um, I wanted to focus on Chaucer. Um, So Chaucer is, of course, a real person, one of the greatest English writers. And is known essentially for being one of the most important figures in basically giving the English language um, a kind of greater level of prestige. That English in England even was essentially certainly not as important or prestigious as the kind of great literary and intellectual language of Latin. Um, But also even as a kind of literary vernacular, French would have been considered much higher prestige than English because that was really the language still spoken by a lot of the nobility. So the fact that he's writing these essentially great literary works in Middle English uh, very much contribute to that kind of growing prestige of the English language. Um, he is a pretty well documented person on the whole. So as we were mentioning earlier, there is this kind of six month period then which we don't know exactly where he is. Um, it's relatively rare for kind of important medieval writers that were able to even have as little as a six month period of, uh, you know, where that person might have been. Um, because, and the reason we know so much about him is because he was basically, um, a kind of civil servant, essentially. He held a number of government positions and, uh, worked for a number of important nobles. Um, so the one literary work that gets mentioned is, uh, the Book of the Duchess. And if this is then supposed to take place in that period in the kind of early to mid 1370s, um, uh, it would have been around when he'd probably just written this which was an elegy for the wife of John of Gaunt. Um, So John of Gaunt is uh, one of the other sons of Edward III, a brother of the Black Prince. And uh, one of the reasons for Chaucer's growing importance as a civil servant was because uh, he was essentially a protege of of John of Gaunt.
2: Where is Gaunt?
3: Somewhere in England. Uh, So the period where, um, uh, when this movie more or less takes place is probably relatively shortly after he has written his first major work, The Book of the Duchess. Um, So this is an elegy for uh, the wife of John of Gaunt. So John of Gaunt is one of the sons of Edward III, um, so a brother of the Black Prince. And it's actually John of Gaunt's son who becomes the future King Henry IV, Um, thus deposing and almost definitely murdering, uh, the Black Prince's son, Richard II. Um, and the Canterbury Tales, of course, his most famous work, um, which is, you know, framed as a, um, basically pilgrimage trip to the city of Canterbury in the south of England. Um, and it basically has each of the different people who are in this kind of party of pilgrims telling a story. Um, and this was completed in the 1390s. And that's very much, uh, you know, the name of this movie, "A Knight's Tale," is clearly a reference to some degree to, you know, the Knight's Tale as a, one of the chapters of the Canterbury Tales. And there is also a uh, the Summoner's Tale and the Pardoner's Tale, which are being referred to here um, with those characters I mentioned before of the Summoner and the Pardoner. Um, so he would have been probably a like multilingual person. So one of the things that I think is a little bit fun is that he probably was quite fluent in French so he actually could have done those fun height bits i bet just as well in french in as french. in english yeah That's awesome. yeah so in my head canon he's actually speaking french in those parts <laughs> um so all of that is super cool and chaucer is of course a you know interesting and important individual um there is however one bit of chaucer's history which is a little bit questionable um, which is that in the year 1380, he was accused of a, a crime that in medieval Latin um, legal sources is referred to as raptus. Uh, so the word raptus is, of course, the um, ancestor, or the, uh, the kind of origins of our modern word rape. The word raptus, however, has this very wide semantic field. So essentially what it means, basically, is that you take a woman away in some manner without the consent of the man who is responsible for her. Um, so that you kind of take a woman away from the, from her like husband or her father without their consent. So uh, um, in this case, the you know woman, uh, Cecily of Champagne is a um, unmarried woman. So, uh, you know, it could have been essentially just that he kidnapped her from her father's house, um, uh, either because he wanted to, like, get ransom money or because he was having an affair with her and is actually basically kidnapping her, but with her consent, but not her father's consent, because her consent is kind of all but irrelevant in medieval concepts of rape. Um, Pretty
0: much to now, still, but...
3: Well, yeah, but... <laughs> uh, but it's at least relevant for how we define rape. No, I know. Yeah um just been
0: a debbie downer about rape <laughs> yeah
3: once again modern culture is not unviolent right um so we don't know exactly what happened in this particular case as i said it could range from anything to rape in the modern sense um to basically them having a consensual affair um we don't Know for sure, and scholars are actually still divided on exactly what the accusation was, and how seriously it should be taken. Um, there's was an article that I came across, which is basically arguing that in the context of the accusation, it does refer to rape, but then basically says probably they were having an affair and she was lying, and so that was a pretty icky thing that a scholar in the 20th century decided to write um that made me somewhat uncomfortable to read right yeah
2: with no with no evidence he just decided that's how it was
3: um that he seems to there's a there's sort of evidence here and there that they had some kind of personal relationship which could potentially indicate that they were having an affair um and then had kind of some evidence as well that they you know that this text is referring to rape um i have to read more of the sources myself to actually say exactly what i thought but the kind of assumption that because they might have had this kind of personal relationship or affair and that therefore it couldn't possibly actually be referring to, or basically if it was referring to rape, she must have been lying about it. Uh, yes. That made me very uncomfortable as an assumption that it felt like this unsurprisingly male author was making. Um,
2: it makes me uncomfortable as a Christian stroke, Catholic stroke. Possibly not all that dedicated to my faith and um, that's the word raptus is the base for the word rapture and uh, i have that to look forward to at some point and apparently they're just going to seize me and take me somewhere well
3: because that's actually what the latin word rapio literally means which from which like raptus and well as the word like rapture rapture refers to is like it basically just means like to take up or to take away god
2: damn <laughs> now it's a scary proposition <laughs> i thought it was to be great but now no, i don't know
3: you're going to be forcibly abducted from your parents without your consent <laughs> Oh, <laughs> um, so Chaucer is, as I said, you know, obviously one of the greatest writers of the English language. Um, but, you know, we are certainly in a period where we are becoming increasingly aware of the fact that some of our um, great literary works and films were created by people who did really, really, by, and by people, I mean, men mostly, who did really, really terrible things. Mm -hmm. And it is worth knowing and being aware of the fact that while the evidence is a bit questionable, there is some possibility that Chaucer should be accounted uh, as one of these. Mm. Yeah. So I apparently, however, though, did not know this and really liked Chaucer and thought he was a great person and like a, I don't know, and like actually like a really great writer of women for a medieval male author. Um, because I re I reread this morning parts of a really insufferable paper that I wrote about Chaucer's A Knight's Tale.
2: I <laughs> just uh, so you won a prize for it, too.
3: I did. I won the English Department Best Essay Prize in sophomore <laughs> year of college.
2: That's awesome. What did you get for winning it? Uh, a golden pick-up feather?
3: I think I got, like, $100. Oh. Like, I think they actually I... wrote me a check, yeah.
0: Oh, so it wasn't like That's you just true. got, like... A marble tombstone. No, they
3: actually like wrote me a check, and I think it was a hundred bucks. Not, which bad. Is not bad. No,
2: no that's no. Pre- that's pretty nice though. Like, yeah, you get a lot of uh, a lot of beer for that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Although at that time I couldn't legally drink, so it would have been hard to use it to buy a beer. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I had to get other people to buy beer for me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. Yeah. Uh, I I think I read uh, we read a nice tale. I was eleven or
1: twelve.
2: I think we read it in in school. One of our teachers was very much into the classics of literature, so we read some. We read A Night's Tale just specifically, and I said not the whole Canterbury Tales. Um, and we read a lot of Jane Austen and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it was good. Um, yeah. So that was my first introduction to it, but I never wrote a paper on it because yeah, I knew I... that he was probably a bad guy. I was like.
3: I think I actually read. I read all of the Canterbury Tales like in proper Middle English. Um, I did a like old and Middle English class in college because I was a medieval studies major.
1: Yeah.
3: So.
2: Don, have you ever read Canterbury Tales or Night's Tale?
0: Not at all. Nope.
2: Knight's no. Tale is pretty short.
3: Yeah, and I would say like the bits about the Summoner and the Partner, and like I feel like the su- the Partner's Tale is actually a fun one. The Wife of Bat's Tale, I think, is the best. So, do we want to move on to our next segment where we talk about what we would do with a movie called A Knight's Tale?
2: I think we should. Yeah. Uh, this section is called Fabula Sarah, what would you do with a movie called A Knight's Tale?
3: Well, especially since I was, you know, rereading my terrible undergraduate paper, um, I decided that I would make a movie based on the you know, based more closely on Chaucer's original story, The Knight's Tale. Um, so one of the things that I at least was like very into when I was reading this as a sophomore in college was that in many ways, the most central character is not really the two male knights, uh, Palamon and Arcite, but the woman that they're fighting over, um, Emily. So uh, I would like to have a story focused on them. So uh, that would have uh, Alison Brie playing Emily. And uh, my two knights would be Channing Tatum and Oscar Isaac. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have her end up with Oscar Isaac at the end. Uh, and unfortunately, that means Channing Tatum is going to have to die, uh, which is going to be very sad for everybody. But um, but one of the things I actually would like to do since I'm, you know, doing this in a medieval setting Like many medieval authors, uh, Chaucer ends up deciding to set his story, the story ostensibly in the frame of the tale uh, told by a medieval knight, um, in a kind of pagan world, a kind of vaguely kind of Greco-Roman pagan setting. Um, So you have each of the three characters uh, praying to different, uh, you know, Roman gods. Um, So I think basically Emily at that point is like kind of into the idea of maybe not marrying either of those men. So she prays to Diana, basically to like either have you know not have to marry either of them, or um, you know marry at least the one who really loves her the most. Um, And then I believe it's Palamon prays to um, Mars, the god of war, basically just that he wins uh, because ultimately Palamon and Arcite have to battle you know for um, essentially for her um, hand in marriage. And uh, um, Arcite then prays to Venus um to uh basically to win emily like to have her love him um so you have these kind of three prayers and the kind of thing at the end is that actually the prayers are all fulfilled because she gets to marry the man who really loves her most which is our um but it's really palamon that wins but then he also like he technically wins but he also gets like stabbed and then he dies um yeah so, um, I think it would be fun to then kind of maybe put that in a more like back in a kind of more medieval universe and have them like pray to different saints. Um, uh, you know, so there are like a number of, uh, women saints. So, uh, you know, Catherine of Alexandria, for example, who are particularly associated with being, um, saints who, uh, basically like women who were martyred in part because they refused to get married um in a kind of you know period before christianity was dominant um it's uh, so, like she could pray to catherine of alexandria um there are a number of saints kind of associated with a military context so like saint george so Palamon could be praying to him and uh our seat's a little harder because like you know because christianity is weird about sex um uh, there aren't as many like you know super like sexy saints but, uh, I don't know. I mean, you could kind of huh. make work. Uh, That's what
2: you think, Decker. Well,
3: I mean, they're sexy, but they're supposed to be not having... They're sexy, but they're supposed to be not having sex. Um, They're I mean, very chaste. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always Mary Magdalene. That could be fun. Um, or there actually are a couple of married saints. So, like, Saint Elizabeth of Hungary is, uh, is a married saint. So that could, that could be a fun one. Um, and I would, however, in a kind of callback to this movie... I'd like to keep a Chaucer character who I actually have be a kind of functionary at this court um, uh, and just kind of witnessing the whole thing and then have him actually, you know, basically then adapt this story for his own purpose or be seen kind of adapting the story for his own purposes. Um, And Paul Bettany can still play Chaucer.
2: Awesome. This actually sounds like something I would totally watch. Yeah. It sounds
0: really good.
3: Thank you. So Ollie, what would your version of this movie be?
2: Okay, so I was thinking about this, and I said to myself, and Night's Tale is such a beloved movie. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about it. When you look back at reviews, you're getting like three out of fives and things like this, but I think that's because it is exceptionally long. right? And I think it puts a lot of people off. But anybody who's actually watched it really, really likes it. So I thought it would be a good idea to go completely different on it. And I got to thinking about timelines. I thought to myself, it's about time we had a knight out of water, a fish out of water story, but a knight who shows up in the modern times and tries to, tries to act like a knight would, but obviously we're now living in twenty eighteen. Well, this won't come out till twenty twenty. So we <laughs> living <laughs> in twenty twenty, and uh, I thought that's what my knight's tale is going to be about. It's going to be about a nobleman, a knight who somehow steps foot into a wormhole and gets transported to the twenty first century. Um my night is going to be played by Chris Hemsworth, so he will obviously look amazing. Um and basically it will be about him trying to act all honourable while at the same time getting taken advantage of. Job. I might have him maybe get a job maybe his first ever job working in a medieval times. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: and he works his way up and he becomes very famous. And then, because knights were basically gladiators back then, I'm going to get him to have a starring role in a remake of American gladiators. <laughs> but he thinks everything is real and serious.
1: I love that show and, growing up.
2: Mhm. So did yeah. I. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I think I'm going to have him, Chris Antwerp, and he's going to make a new best friend in the shape of Jack Black, and Jack Black is going to be giving him incredibly bad advice the entire time, and um, because he thinks that our hero is an idiot, but he's not. He's just
3: unused to this period.
2: Yeah, and that's what I—that's what I think I would make a nice title.
3: I think I that sounds
2: seven hundred million dollars.
3: I think that does sound super fun, and I would definitely watch that movie. And I bet I would complain about it less than I complain about most medieval movies. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I, I I would make sure to nail the one scene that's set in a medieval time period. <laughs> Just hundred percent accurate, except for the wormhole.
3: So you'd be Don, accurate about medieval about the Middle Ages, but not about physics. The Middle Ages, <laughs> not about
2: physics. No. Don, would you like to uh, like to make a an attempt or make a, a version of the Nightmare movie?
0: I mean, I can try. I think gender swapping would be interesting. Yeah, so having the two knights be women, uh-huh. and having a lead uh, in this—the lead female character being a male character instead—and mm-hmm. having the hype person be like a Kate McKinnon or another comedic, like yeah. actress of contemporary times. And then it would become, you know, Night's Tale 2020 and everyone would hate it like Ghostbusters 2016. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think that'd be really fun, though. Yeah. I would like to see them play with that.
0: Yeah.
2: So who else, uh, who else would be in the movie,
0: though? I can't really place a guy yet. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think seeing, like, Charlize Theron and Olivia Wilde have to be knights could be mm-hmm. kind of hilarious in a dry humor kind of way.
1: Yeah,
2: would you uh, would you gender swap all of the knights or just their two main characters?
0: I mean, I think it would be reversing it where women are the in the binary sense, you know, the more privileged. So yes, I would reverse it. It would be a patriarch. It would be a matriarchal society, not a patriarchal society.
3: I think that would be really fun. <laughs> so actually, kind of like a sort of medieval version of the power.
0: Yes, or like. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Before she gets off the island. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really, really good.
3: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
0: I just want to piss off
2: fanboys boys, too.
3: <laughs> That's really the main goal here. Yeah. How can we annoy white men? All the time. It's the secret purpose of this podcast. You're already annoying
2: them by not buying their books.
3: <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just, I need to find more ways.
2: <laughs> huh. Okay. <laughs> we move on to our last section where we sum up what we think of this movie
1: in what we call Enumeratio. No, and, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Oh <laughs> Estimatio, sorry.
2: Did I say enumeratio? Yeah. Estimatio <laughs> Um so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go first here. Uh, I'm gonna give this five out of five because uh, I think it's awesome. That's it. There's I, I don't have much to say beyond I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think everyone should watch it and everyone will enjoy it.
3: Yeah, I'm actually gonna give this a five out of five too. I adore this movie. Um, I first saw this movie well before I became a medievalist. Um, You know, came out in 2001. I think I wasn't like a dedicated to being a medievalist till like 2003. Um, And even like becoming a medievalist, I feel like it's actually really like held up and I still really love it. And uh, even with there being kind of little things here and there that I'm like, Oh, okay, you know, that they didn't quite get that right. It doesn't diminish the movie for me in a way that uh, there are plenty of other movies that I've seen where those things really annoy me. Um, So yeah, I'm also giving it a five out of five.
0: Awesome. Done. Oh, okay. I didn't know I got to go too.
3: Yes. You got to rate too.
0: So I would on my tiny window of medieval knowledge, give it a five out of five as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Obviously this is not what I went to school uh, to study, but I have, like, kind of, like, my cozy corner of movies. Yeah. Um, like, there's probably, like, my top ten. This one is forever going to be in my top ten. Like, this is one of those films that if I see it playing, I'm 99.9% sure I'm going to stop and watch it. Yeah. It is lighthearted enough. Even the – some of the parts that haven't aged as well, like, with his, like, temper tantrum and sexism aspect. Yeah. And there was like, a little gay panic moment. And there's that, yeah, a gay panic moment. Uh, I can... And I can... Not respect, so let me try to figure out how to say that. I appreciate the film for what it is, and I I don't expect it to be seen as a flawless piece of work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, it's a strange little movie that somebody threw together who apparently also wrote the screenplay for The Fourth Nightmare on Elm Street... And a couple other weird films. L.A. Confidential. (laughs) Yeah, L.A. Confidential. (laughs) Yeah. So this guy's had a really strange, like...
3: He's actually one of three people, I uh, looked this up earlier today, who has won um, an Oscar and a Razzie in the same year.
0: Yeah. Ooh.
3: Um. So as a he's he seems to be mainly a screenwriter, and uh, this is like relatively one of one of uh, this is one of relatively few things that he both wrote and directed. So the same year mm-hmm. as he won an Oscar for writing the screenplay of L. A. Confidential, he won a Razzie for something that was, I think, called The Postman, which I've never heard of.
1: It
0: was Postman. with Kevin, Kevin Costner. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like how uh, we clearly must have had moms that saw that movie at the same time.
2: Uh, I, <laughs> I've. I've Fashion. do like
0: a uh, the postman's a good movie? <laughs> so yeah, no, I thought I think it's great. I'm I appreciate you all doing this film and including me in on it too.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah. and yeah, and also just like one brief more additional note on the rating. Um, it does at least have two really awesome female characters and neither of them die, so it passes the Ift-Decker test. Yes. Um, although it does not pass the Bechdel test because there are a bunch of scenes of Jocelyn and her lady-in-waiting talking, but they never talk oh, about good. anything yes. other than men. And she and Kate, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, never have a conversation somehow.
0: Oh, <laughs> and if I can add one more thing. So also a big reason why I love this film so much is obviously the fashion part of it. Yeah. I love whoever did the costume designing for her clothes. Yeah. And I don't really know what ended up happening, happening to Shannon, but there was a window of time for like four or five years where she was popular. And she always had really strong fashion outside mm. of films. And I always kind of appreciated her from an icon aspect. Interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: Awesome. And Don, where can people find you
0: on these? So I do a podcast, uh, about the show Quantum Leap. Our website is beckettfuturepod.com. Uh the podcast you can look in any of your favorite podcatchers. Uh it is called Beckett to the Future a Quantum Leap podcast. We release weekly to biweekly. Uh we're on Twitter at beckettfuturepod and our website has pretty much all the other information and we're about halfway through the show which is not done in chronological order. I should note that it's actually done in the order of the leap dates of the main character, Sam Beckett. And actually, it's really weird and confusing <laughs> and super fun at the same time. Awesome.
2: Awesome. It's a, it's a great podcast. I've been a guest several times. Sarah, you've been a guest a few times?
3: I haven't been a guest yet, but I will be a guest very soon. Probably by the time this episode is released, actually, I will have been a guest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Sarah, would
2: you like to talk to our listeners?
3: Yes. So uh, please, if you have enjoyed us, rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple podcasts. Um, If you have any critiques that you would like to send us, ways we can make the show better, um, or ideas about things you would like to see in the future or future movies, please send us an email at media.evilpod. That's M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L-P-O-D at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at MediaEvilPod. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah if checker um, and Dolly, where else can they find you on and around the internet?
2: People can find me at uh, my other podcast, which is best acquaintances, uh, in which myself and my friend, Emily talked to people. We only know from the internet, which is where I met Don and Sarah, and it was a great time to talk to both of them. Um, you can also just find me on Facebook, just look up Holly Brady. Uh,
3: I'm, I'm around. And they can technically find you on Instagram.
2: They can definitely find me on Instagram. If you want to come and look at a completely blank page, it's there.
0: Aw that's adorable. You're a little blank square. (laughs)
2: Little blank square. I don't even know how I got into it. Facebook obviously did this for me without asking permission.
3: (laughs) Non consensual Instagram. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I have
2: I have an issue, Sarah. I think we've been too lenient the last two weeks. We've had two good movies, so I think we should punish ourselves with something really, really bad next
3: week. Yeah, I think our ratings have been far too high. We've had two fives in a row. So, yeah, we need something really bad. Do you have any suggestions for a truly atrocious movie?
2: Well, I'm thinking of a movie that you said that you decided to dedicate yourself to becoming a medievalist in 2003. This movie came out three years later. And I I think that if you'd have seen it at the time, it would have changed your mind. Because it is that bad. It features my boy, Jason Statham. But we're going to watch In the Name of
3: the King. All right. I have not seen this movie as of yet. And I am very excited, based on what you have told me, to watch it. Because I think it's going to be terrible.
2: It is. I'm going to hang my hat on this being the worst movie we've seen for the podcast. And likely the worst one that we're
3: All right. We will see if it manages to live up to that promise of being worse than King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ollie, it was a delight recording with you.
2: Sarah, always a pleasure. Dawn, always a pleasure.
3: Yeah, Dawn, thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to have you on.
0: Thanks for having me.
3: And uh, we will see you next week.
2: All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: My lord, the Count Adamar!